Well, hey, what is going on? Happy Tuesday and welcome to Chatterbox Reds. My name is Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds is your daily home for live post-game shows after every Reds game on YouTube and podcasts like you're listening to right now, always available bright and early the morning after every Reds game. We are presented, as always, by Betfred Sportsbook. Well, coming up on today's show, Trace Fowler was back on Chatterbox Reds Live on YouTube on Monday night, and we will play part of our conversation about Monday's game. But first, here's what happened on Monday night at Great American Ballpark. Brandon Williamson and the Reds had a tall task to try to end the six-game losing streak facing the 20-year-old phenom of the Marlins, Yuri Perez. And it didn't get off to a good start. Top of the first, Jorge Soler had a home run off Brandon Williamson. Soler raised his hands, rounding the bases, shocked that it went out just into the second row in the Sun Moon deck. Kind of felt like how things have been going for the Reds. Marlins quickly took a 1-0 lead. But in the bottom of the third, Will Benson walked. Benson then stole second. Ellie De La Cruz then walked. And then TJ Friedel, who's been hot of late, ripped a huge triple down the line. And that put the Reds up 2-1. In the bottom of the fourth, Christian Encarnacion Strand and Joey Vada went back-to-back. Both homers were exactly 398 feet. But CES's home run was to left field, and Vada was to right field. Brandon Williamson put the Cincinnati Reds on his back. Against a lineup that has hit left-handed pitching well all year, Williamson got through six and two-thirds innings. He only allowed one run with nine strikeouts and no walks. Williamson was just absolutely electric. We'll hear more from him in a moment. Lucas Sims did come in to relieve Williamson and really his only jam of the game with two on and two outs in the seventh inning. Sims struck out Yuli Gurriel to end that threat. In the bottom of the seventh, TJ Friedel singled, stole second, took third base on the bad throw, and then he scored on a Spencer Sears sack fly for a nice insurance run to put the Reds up 5-1. to one. The Marlins did get one run off Ian Jabot, and they ended up bringing the tying run to the plate off Alexis Diaz in the ninth, but Diaz was able to get a 4-6-3 double play to Newman De La Cruz Votto to preserve a 5-2 win, which snapped the Reds' six-game losing streak, and it gave the Reds their 60th win of the season. Here's what Reds manager David Bell had to say about the win and Brandon Williamson's performance. What you got from Brandon Williamson tonight, pretty special. Yeah, just when we needed it the most, for sure. Um, not only for the win, but um, with the game yesterday and how much we'd used our bullpen. Uh, yeah, he was he was really good. He's He's been getting better every time out, and tonight may have been the best we've seen him. He just looked really strong out there. Good cutter again, good changeup. Um, nice fastball, landed landed some, some curveballs. Um, this team that we faced tonight, has been they've been swinging the bat well, and uh, he, he did a great job tonight. You guys uh, kind of, you had a couple home runs, obviously, but kind of got back to what you've had success with, uh, stealing some bases. TJ gets on, up a third base, sacrificed by RBI. His triple opened up the door, had base runners. Did you feel like you were, you got back to the genesis of what you guys have been successful with? Sure. I mean, we, we want opportunities. You get on base. Um, we know we're a good base running team, and we have speed. So, um, you know, it starts with getting on base, and then good things will happen. We had good at-bats uh, tonight. 
Ellie's walk, um, TJ, just a just a, maybe the biggest that batted of the year, and uh, you know Joey's homer. But we we did that that tonight off. Maybe uh, a pitcher that has as good as stuff, or maybe the best stuff, really, in in, in baseball. So um, you know we that that's a big deal for us, and we can we can definitely take that forward. It's one of 162, but can you put in perspective of when you when you have a six-game losing streak and you guys have rallied each time you've had those this year, just the perspective of how important tonight was getting back on track at home. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's there's no question. It's uh, you know, it's it's more fun. Um, it's a big, uh, in a way, a relief, but at the same time, like as we went through each game of these six games. Um, Everything stayed the same. Nothing changed, and you know we knew this would come where we would we would get back on track. But uh, you know, what doesn't change is now we come back out um, tomorrow and moving forward, continuing to find ways to get better. That's what we did um, during those six days. It has to continue. There's no other way to approach it, and I think that really just keeps things as consistent as you can. And um, you know, and, and we know that. To get to where we're ultimately trying to get to, it's not about a short period of time. It's about um, steady improvement um, all year, and that's kind of started in spring training. That kind of got us to this point, and we need to keep that going. And here's what the man himself, Brandon Williamson, had to say about the best performance of his young career: career high in punch outs. What was the secret tonight? Uh, I think I just attacked, got ahead of guys. Um, I was unpredictable. I think that was the main key. Um, Steve O called a great game. You know, used the change up a lot. Uh, it was effective tonight, and you know, just going right at guys. You may have been asked something similar, but Joey was just talking about when he was in Louisville and what he saw from you and what he sees now—more velocity, more aggressiveness. What is that? What you would attribute to? What, what, what would you attribute to the successful run you've been on here? Yeah, I think. Um, I've tried taking out a lot of uncontrollables, you know, um, on top of working with DJ for a couple months now, he's been, you know, very uh, specific and um, forward with what is expected and what needs to change and how we can get better doing it. Uh, I think the uptick in velocity is directly correlated with working with him. Uh, I think throwing more strikes is correlated with him. You know, my body feels great. Uh, that was a big part of component of it last year of struggling. I just didn't feel like myself physically or mentally, and um, now I just I feel really free on the mound. Um, you know, I, I know more of how the game works, how how big league hitters uh, think and work. Um, you know, I just I'm never shy of throwing the ball over plate right now, and just you know, like I said, attacking guys. And lastly, here's what Joey Votto had to say about the game. It was uh, after yesterday's game, you know, you lose six in a row and everyone was kind of like business as usual. It's no problem. We've been here before. Um, is that what you sense too? And bringing it to fruition tonight, getting back on track? Yeah, I, 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 I haven't gotten a sense at all uh, this year during the colder times, during the, the losing streaks or, or the occasions where we get swept at home that, uh, that the team reacts uh, negatively to it. Um, 
I feel like on a consistent basis, the guys are optimistic and focused on the next day, focused on the next opportunity to learn, grow as players, and ultimately win. You know, these guys um, have this attitude of uh, we want to do something big, we want to do something special, and um, you know, so oftentimes when when we're not going through good stretches, I don't. I, I, I get the sense that they can't wait for the next opportunity as opposed to, you know, uh, um, feeling the, 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 you know, the colder stretch. You feel like you're going through a pretty good home run stretch right now? Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm homering. I'd like uh, to just continue to help the team and um, do what I can on the field to, to be a part of wins, you know. So we've got less than two months to go, and everybody's going to contribute. We're going to need everyone to contribute, and I, I would like to be a part of that group. So that's where my head's at. How impressive was Brandon Williamson tonight? He gets, he's gotten better. You know, I saw him in, in, in Louisville, and he's a different pitcher. And I, I don't want that to be sound disrespectful or to minimize his um, effort in Louisville. But this is a different pitcher than I saw in Louisville. He's uh, sharper, throwing harder, locked in on, on um, um, execution. So for me, uh, seeing the difference is, is, is in such a short period of time is, is of course, welcome, but also um, not often do players make such sudden changes in such short periods of time. And I'm glad we're able to benefit from it. And I'm glad that he's uh, um, living up to, I think, the potential that he realizes he has. Joey Votto's 398-foot home run at 99.7 off the bat was our deep drive of the day, sponsored by Deep South Commodities. DSC is a leader in renewable commodities for biofuels production, specializing in used cooking oil collection, aggregation, and sales. Visit www.deepsouthcommodities.com for more information. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Deep South Commodities. Well, the Brewers beat the Rockies 12-1 on Monday, so the Reds do remain a game and a half back in the National League Central, but the Reds did get some help in the wildcard race. The Cubs got blasted 11-2 to the New York Mets, who had come in losers of six straight games, and the game had a two-hour and nine-minute rain delay for insult to injury. Tucker Barnhart had to pitch in relief for the Cubs. The Cubs lost, plus the Reds win over the Marlins, gave the Reds a full one-game lead for the third and final NL wildcard spot. All right, well, here's myself and Trace Fowler discussing Monday night's big win for the Reds. Nick, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to see you still here. I was really concerned about your mental health. I was concerned about the fans on Twitter's mental health. And I got to be honest, I was having a hell of a time while you guys were just drowning in sorrows, and I kept checking my phone, and for about 10 minutes of every day, my day was ruined. But then I kept telling myself, they play tomorrow. They'll win tomorrow. They'll play tomorrow. They'll win tomorrow. And that just never happened. So you know what? I canceled it. I said, boys, I got to leave. I got to go home early. I got business to get back to. I'm glad to see the Reds got back to their winning ways, Nick. I don't know how you're feeling. You're taking a beating on social media, I've seen. How are you doing? Are you doing all right? Are the vitals okay? The vitals are great now. Let's go. We're back, baby. We are back. 
I mean, we're kind of back, for being honest. I don't know if we're all the way back, but we're getting closer to being back than we were before. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Nick. I want you to, I want you to uh, really grasp what I'm getting ready to tell you. And, and, and when I tell you this, I want, I'm saying it loud enough for the other kids in the room to overhear it. You know, this is one of those things where I'm going to tell you this, but I'm hoping other people latch on. There are times where you can be frustrated, you can be mad, you can say whatever you want to say, get it out of your system, and then look back on it maybe a little bit later in your life and realize, I probably probably overreacted, or I probably was, was a little off base in saying that. I think there are, there are reasons for both sides that are screaming and yelling about certain things to be accurate and to be right. I want to discuss that towards the end of the show. I'll leave that towards the end of the show. But I promise you, not that this is a huge revelation, but I'm telling you that there is something that I've seen on the X app that I think both sides are right. I just like to eloquently try to hopefully make amends to both sides. Do I think that both sides are ever going to agree on something? No, I don't. Uh, similar to the political spectrum that we're in. But my main point is, and my main, main goal here at the end of the show, is to try to bring a little bit of uh, a little bit of justice to both sides in, in this whole debate of whether or not you should be thrilled to death with this team playing the way they are, or you should be pissed off because this team has blown an excellent opportunity to make the postseason by their week and a half's worth of play. But before we do that, Nick, I think we should talk about Brandon Williamson, a guy that we thought, again, that was going to get thrown to the wolves. We even said that. I think you said that. He was getting thrown to the wolves out in Colorado. Let's just, yeah, let's just bring this guy up. He's got like an ADRA at AAA. He looks lost. He walks the world. He has a blow-up inning every single start. Let's throw him to the wolves in Colorado. And if we're going to be honest, I'm not trying to sing, I'm not trying to sing Derek uh, Johnson's praises. But if you're going to get pissed off at DJ. For other guys, you have to give him credit for this this guy, Nick. You just do. Don't know how you how you could think any like otherwise if you look at his uh, uh, minor league career numbers. Uh, one big spot in this game that really stands out to me. So he gave up the home run to Jorge Soler. They said it on the broadcast before the game started. Jorge Soler, the best hitter in baseball against left-handed pitching. So he's obviously tough matchup. Gives up that really cheap home run. Next time he faces Jorge Soler... Batter before, Ellie De La Cruz makes an error with two outs. Should have ended the inning. So he has to face Soler with a runner on base. Williamson strikes him out. If you ever watched Brandon Williamson in the minor leagues, it snowballed on him. He'd, he'd have some success, but then when something didn't go his way, it would snowball on him. That was a huge spot in this game. Got a big strikeout and then just absolutely put the Reds on his back and dominated after that. 17 swing and misses tonight. I don't know what the future is for Brandon Williamson, but he is a valuable pitcher for this team, whether it's as a starter or as a reliever. He's definitely got a spot. And I think you can look at the Reds right now and where the franchise is overall, and you could say, hey, there are seven pitchers in this organization that I feel like a chance to have to be a decent starter. Green, Lodolo, Abbott, Ashcraft, uh, Phillips, Williamson, and maybe I'm missing someone else. I, I think there's seven. But nonetheless, you have you have a decent amount of pictures. Connor Phillips. I think the Reds, Connor. Yeah, I think the Reds should probably still look to add at least one free agent this offseason. But I think you're going into next year and you're like, hey, there, there's a lot of really good pitchers. And for the Reds to ever have a rotation like you saw in 2020 or in 2012, the bulk of their starting pitching has to be 
developed or traded for. It has to be players that come up through the system. It, you're not gonna. The Reds are never going to go sign three or four free agent pitchers and have a good rotation. And you need guys like Williamson to fill that rotation out. And he's looking like a legitimate, has a legitimate chance to be one of those pieces. Brandon Williamson to me is a guy that is always um, that is always going to be looked at or believed to be for the for the indefinite future as a number four or five starter. You know, and it's nothing against what he. It's nothing against him. I think that he's been unbelievable. Let me be very clear when I say that he has been unbelievable based off of the expectations that you were going to get out of him and what he's actually done for you. So I don't even really want to, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I don't want it to even be a slight towards Williamson. His stuff has gotten a little bit better, but when you watch him, I don't think you're ever like, oh, he, he could, he, you know, maybe he gets to be a number two someday or maybe, you know, dare I say an ace that would, that would probably make people like fall out of their chairs laughing at times, but, but not that there's been anything else on this show that you couldn't have done that with. There's plenty of material for you to do that with. The only thing that the only thing that I'm hesitant about with this Reds front office when it comes to trying to go get starting pitching is, you know, what are you spending and what is your return and is it worth it in the long run? And the 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 one thing I do think that this front office, Nick, is going to latch on to a little bit more than they normally would is depth. You know, if there's ever been a year that's proved that you need to have good depth as an organization to be competitive for a full year, to, to be able to have the ability to go to a postseason consistently, you, you have to have those guys that are plug-and-fill guys until, the, until your big-time guys come back. The truth is, is we've gotten, and I say lucky, and I don't mean that being disrespectful to our front office and saying they got lucky, but we've been fortunate. Um, the fact that Abbott has been as good as he has been this early in his career when he's come up, uh, Williamson the same way. Um, we've had some disasters. I'm not saying we haven't had some da- disasters. Luke Weaver's not been great. But my main my main point of all this is saying that they, do, they got their two top draft picks that I think in their mind, Nick, might be ready next year or they'll be close to ready next year. And then you got Williamson, you got Abbott, you got Green, you got Lodolo, you got Ashcraft. You you have some opportunities for guys to go down, if you will, or go on the fifteen day DL or ten day IL, not DL IL, and the, maybe maybe even longer than that, and still be able to survive in advance. That's what this team is trying to do right now. They're trying to survive in advance, and unfortunately, this past week's not looked that great. But if they could just get back and give themselves a chance again be within a couple games of division with 30 games left. That's what this is about. And I still think that they're I say when I say the best team in this division, I'm not saying it's it's a you know, I hesitate in saying that cuz there are holes in this team, Nick. But I do think genuinely you could make an argument that they're the best team in this division. I still think you could. Uh pitching in general, let's stick with that really fast. Let's stay on topic for just a second. Your thoughts your thoughts on uh, I I I want to bring this up to you. David Bell pulls Williamson, right? Again, Williamson throwing the ball relatively well. Pulls him. Two guys on. Tying run at the plate. Sims gives up a home run right there. I'm going to tell you right now, David Bell is the worst manager in the history of the, of the game. Since Sims struck him out, no one's going to say anything about it. I wanted to bring that up that I wanted to bring that up for you. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Graham Ashcraft gives up a two-run home run to tie the game on Friday. Tonight, Sims gets a strikeout. You know, I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, Again, that's why I try not to look at 
the result of a one instance and say that's the right or wrong decision because I don't think it's always that way. I think sometimes you can make the right decision and it just not work out. Uh, and sometimes it, you can make the wrong decision and it does work out. But I think this was the right decision today. Um, you know, this was this was Williamson was going through the order for a third time. You had Sims ready, and I know Sims has been struggling, but I do think Sims's last two outings looked a little bit better. Um, that was a big strikeout for him. Um, and uh, and David also didn't bring Sims back out for a second inning because Sims has tend to struggle of late in the second innings. I know Jabot gave up one run, but that was it. Uh, so that was also kind of interesting. Sims only threw four pitches. Right. Uh, so it's kind of interesting the way he, way he used it. It worked tonight. Uh, I don't know if I have a great take on that. I just found that interesting. Well, I think that, uh, that, that uh, there's been a couple times this year where they've 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 tried to bring bring guys out for a second inning because that. Let me, let me say it this way: David Bell has a little bit of a plan going into a game, right? And I say a little bit by probably a. a I'm, I'm, I'm selling that short. My main point is that when he brought him in, the plan was to use Sims in one inning and go to the next guy. Let him, excuse me, let him throw an inning, go to the next guy. There's been a few times this year where David Bell has actually run a guy out for the second inning, in my opinion, going against his original plan because of what you just said. He come in, they've, they've come in into a situation with two outs or maybe one out and they got a double play ball or they got out of an inning faster than David Bell ever expected. He looked down at his sheet. He's seen that this guy's only thrown about 10 pitches. He goes back out and it doesn't go well. And the thing that probably eats at David Bell, in my opinion, is that that wasn't a part of his plan. He, he did not want to do that. But he let the situation of what he's seen dictate him making it a, a different decision than the one that he was rationally usually making before you get into high drama, high stakes, uh, competitive atmospheres. Because when you get into that, you can you can let your judgment cloud sound reasoning sometimes, right? And I think that uh, David Bell learned, I don't say learned a lesson, that's not the word I'd like to use, but I think David Bell makes mental notes of things when he doesn't do something according to his plan and it goes wrong. And I think that the Ashcraft situation, in my opinion, Nick, was going against his plan too. I think that he was like, you know what? This guy's throwing the ball really, really well. I know, you know, whether it's analytics or whether it's just the way that he traditionally managed, it goes against letting him go back out there is what I'm getting at in Ashcraft. And I'm not saying Ashcraft ruined it for everybody else, but I'm going to tell you, Ashcraft ruined it for everybody else. So, and it's not, it's not, a, it's, a, it's not Ashcraft's problem. I'm just saying that when Ashcraft goes out back out there and he, and he gives up a two-run bomb, David Bell in his mind is like, I'm never, I'm never kid show effing doing this again. That's it. I'm done. You guys had your chance. You guys all want to say, oh, you got to keep the ball. He's throwing too well. Yeah, well, there it goes. That's the end of that. You ruined it for everybody. So anyway, um, you know, overall, good. There is a little bit of nuance to that than just the complete look into the stat sheet in that. And, And one thing that probably does have to be added to this is I don't think it's always just David Bell's decision. David Bell is I'm assuming relying pretty heavily on what Derek Johnson is telling him that Derek Johnson is seeing, right? I mean, I think he's got to be saying, "Hey, DJ, do you how what, where do you think he's at right now?" So it, it's got it's there's a there there's more of a collaborative effort than I think it's just David Bell. Same thing with what I crushed David Bell on Friday night for. Someone on that bench should have been telling him, "Hey." you can use Friedel to pinch it for Newman here and, and bring in Sinzel to third base. It's like in basketball. Like 
you, you have a coach that tells you how many timeouts you have. Like it's not all just David Bell. Someone else has to step up as well and be like, "Hey, David, you're missing this." And so I think there, there's more. It's more than just. It doesn't always just start and end with David Bell. It's it's got to be that whole coaching staff. I think it's an excellent point. You know, and, but that's the way sports goes in general, right? I mean, if 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 a if a head coach in college basketball makes a huge mistake, like you said, and he calls a timeout when there's no timeouts left, the head coach is the one that gets absolutely ridiculed. He gets crushed for it. But really, the assistant coach, and I'm not saying it's their job completely, but you, you, you're you right. I mean, everyone has their roles and responsibilities. You'd like to think that maybe uh, some of those guys that sit on the bench with them um, would, would give him those opportunities as well. Because I, 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 the one thing that I had seen when I was gone was that how bad uh, David Bell was mismanaging games. I don't know how much I can really take of that and say, oh, he, mu- he must be really mismanaging games when that's – you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf on Twitter because when David Bell blows every single game, it's kind of hard when you don't watch the game if you can tell if he did blow it or if he really did struggle. Um, maybe the truth lies in the middle there. I don't know. But nonetheless, you know, I, I just thought to myself today when I watched that and, and Williamson came out, I was like, you know, David Bell's just sticking to his plan. He's he is he, he's made his decision before the game started on what he was planning on doing, and he is not letting any any circumstances that he's watching dictate what he's going to do differently. So that's that. Um, TJ Friedel, I think, is the player of the game. I think he is somebody that is, um, I don't want to say he's been the golden child of this team, but of all of the players, Nick, maybe Matt McLean, maybe Matt McLean, but out of all the players in this team that I think get little to no ridicule from, a fan base from, and also has performed relatively well, TJ Friedel's at the very top of that list. I'm not saying, I, I, of course, I did. I asked if he was brain dead when he tried to throw a guy out from 390 feet from center field with a guy on first base that was the tying run. But besides that one play, I can't think of one thing that TJ Friedel has done on the baseball field that I thought to myself, you know, we need to get rid of this guy or he needs to not play. You must fall, have a different f- followers than, than I have. I don't know. I was you, you, questioned you know, why. He was getting crushed in July. He had one bad month, and it was like the guy was a terrible hitter. Uh, I, I don't understand it. Uh, had five great months in a row. He had one bad month in July, and uh, he's he's come back. Of last four games, seven for 16, two home runs, triple and three stolen bases. He's a good player. I, I think eventually he's probably your nine-hole hitter, but I don't have any issue with him hitting at the top of the lineup in this year. Uh, and, and I think that that David Bell shows confidence to guys like T.J. Friedel through their slumps, leaves them there, and I think that might have something to do with them being able to bounce back and get through a 162-game season. Maybe so. T.J. Friedel had an enormous baseball hit tonight. Like, I, I for, yeah. for those that didn't watch the game and for those that are listening to this in podcast form tomorrow morning, when I tell you that T.J. Friedel had about as close to a, and this is over dramatic. This is this is way too much of credit. But I, this is how I felt in the moment: a see a season saving, a rally, a, a, a morale boosting hit. That was about as close to a as close to it as you could get in the moment of where we were at. Vibes were low. Score was one to nothing. It felt like oh here we go again. Offense can't score any runs. You know you give up a run in the first inning. And it's almost like when Friedel hit that ball down the line and it landed fair for his triple to score two. You give the Reds a 2-1 to one lead. He gets up. He fires up the dugout. They're fired up. 
It's like everybody takes everybody just collectively took a deep breath and was like, okay, we 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 still can win. Like these games are gonna go our way. That's how I felt. I'm not saying that's how everyone else felt, but that's how I felt. And it was like, should I give him that much credit for one hit, Nick? Maybe not. But I honestly think if he strikes out right there, vibes continue to stay really low because the, the, the truth is is that everyone was looking at it and saying, okay, you got a good arm on the mound. Are you going to be able to get to him? He strikes him out. We're still scoreless. We're still waiting on somebody. to. to, to it's a, it just finally, finally, somebody stepped up and made a big-time play, and TJ Friedel did it. And I think he deserves more credit than just, oh, he had a triple to give the Reds a 2-1 to lead. Like, that was more than just some regular go-ahead triple in the whatever, third or fourth inning or whatever. What I don't know what inning it was, but it was early. Well, he also had a three-run home run on Saturday when the Reds had a perfect game going against them and got two bases to see the three-run home run. The Reds didn't win the game, but it certainly you know, turned a situation where it was like absolutely dire to at least there was a pulse, and I don't know if that carried over any momentum. I think those things can be really silly, but nonetheless, that was a huge hit in that game, and then that hit tonight, man, that was one of those moments where, yeah, was it probably overrated? Sure, but man, I went, Oh, thank God. Like, you know, you take a deep breath. Like, all right, maybe we're going to be okay here. Uh, maybe I can show my face on camera tonight. You know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, it was a big hit. Huge hit in the game. Uh, it definitely was. Um, all right, you got CES and you got Votto in here. though. They went back to back. It was nice to see CES, in a way, kind of get a little bit of another um, monkey off the back, whatever term you want to use. This is a guy that was known for his power and for him to be sitting on one home run for as long as he did. I was relatively shocked by that because I just thought in my mind, Nick, like, yeah, he might strike out a lot because of just his chase rate and the things that you had, you know, that you have discussed before about CES. But one thing I did not think that would happen would be, and I want to say lack of power. That's not the term I want to use here, but I think he would just accidentally, luckily, run into a ball, and it go out once every whatever, how many games. And um, hopefully this gets him going. The good news is is that, and I've said this before on, a, on previous shows, this was before they they had the, uh, the dumpster fire here, but a lot of these guys are due to get hot. <laughs> they are. Now, whether that actually ends up happening, Nick, I don't know. But I'd like to think that there's a small chance, and this is what I keep telling myself, if they can just hang around and if they can get hot, red hot, two or three weeks before the playoffs and just take that right into the playoffs, never know. You never know. That's best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario is obviously that these guys aren't as good as we think they are and they don't ever actually end up putting the numbers together that we expect them to put up. But we'll see what happens. But CES, I don't know what your thoughts on him on him are specifically. And then Votto, I I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll save my Votto thoughts until I hear your CES thoughts. How about that? I thought CES had a great night, not just the home run. Uh, his first at bat, I think, might have been his uh, best uh, at bat of the whole night. And he actually struck out, but he fell behind 0-2. And he's been, you're facing Yuri Perez, a guy that came in. I remember when I saw the tweet yesterday that he's coming back to start against the Reds. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this guy's a, a phenom. They, they showed the graphic best start ever for a pitcher 20 or under. Um, but but and, he, and Perez looked really, really good early in the game. 
CES fell behind 0-2 in the count, battled back, got it 3-2. He struck out on a cold strike three, but it was a very borderline pitch, a pitch that I have no problem with him taking, trying to draw a walk. Then the next at bat, he hits a home run, and then he had another walk later in the game. So not ju- it wasn't just the home run. He had really, really good quality at bats all night, and that was just really, really great to see um, for a guy that that's had some struggles. And uh, I hope that this is the kind of game that can maybe really get him going. Uh, shockingly, and before I talk about Votto, I do want to say you talk about having some really good at bats. Um, Ellie's not on the rundown, but I do want to at least say right before the TJ Friedel triple. Should should Ellie get a ton of credit for walking? Maybe not because the balls weren't. I mean, it wasn't like he had to battle incredibly hard to earn that walk. But he did lay off some pitches out of the zone. And I do want to give, at least say, hey, listen, if we're going to crush this 21-year-old who's a rookie for swinging at, swinging at poor pitches and, and being a little uh, undisciplined at the plate, then I think we should say, uh, at least in that at bat, that it, that 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 was a growing moment for Ellie De La Cruz, at least. Now it was one at bat, so take that for what it's worth. Vado, this guy, you want to talk about changing your approach at the plate in your in your late career? I don't know what term you'd like to use with that. I mean, he's got power now. I don't. I mean, he he might you know he might not hit for average all that much anymore. He might not get on base anywhere close to what he used to. But he does hit for power. And I mean, that's one thing that you, no matter who it is, must admit to, I guess. And I don't know how you feel about Votto. I think he's he's been hot lately, and um, hopefully he continues that up. And like I said before, this is his last season of Cincinnati Red. I pray, I, I, I continue to pray that it goes incredibly well, and he goes out on the highest note you could possibly go out on, because it's been a pleasure watching this guy play. And not that I'm trying to count down the days or nothing like that. I don't want to make this sound like we're we're casting our, uh, you know, our like my wife does, she has our dog dead after like two years of having him because that's just the way she thinks. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, honey. We got like eight or nine more years before the dog's passing away. You're already crying over him getting older or something. So um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm already casting Joey Votto being gone, but I do want to at least take in the appreciation of what this year is. Yeah, I mean, he's found a way to stay productive. I mean, 13 home runs. I only had 11 all last year. Uh 2018, he played 145 games and only had 12 home runs. So the fact that he has 13 home runs coming off this major surgery is just incredible. Um, Obviously, the batting average is really low, but he's still being productive. So until he stops being productive, um, they all count. You know, you can can be Luis Arise and hit 375, but really... It's not that great because he doesn't ever hit an extra base hit. I mean, he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong, but he's not like an MVP caliber player just because he hits that high. Votto's been a productive player hitting just over 200 because he's hitting 13 home runs, hitting a home run every couple games. And uh, um, obviously you'd like to have guys that, that, that can hit for a high average, but the Reds do have kind of a decent balance in that. And a guy like Votto has, has been valuable to this team up to this point. One thing that I, um, that I'm curious about is in a day and an age when obviously analytics are, are much more of a part of, of the baseball culture, a guy like Kyle Schwarber um, hitting leadoff. I mean, I don't know what he, he's, he was batting like 190 at one point. And I don't know if he's still batting 190, but he's been a leadoff guy all year for a team that's expects to make the playoffs. So, you know, um, Votto's average is definitely different than what it used to be, but, but when you hit for some power like Schwarber, 
It makes a difference. Schwarber also walks in like 16% of his plate appearances. So he, he's hitting a buck 82, but he's got a 321 on base percentage. And that's a down year. Normally his on base is up like 370, even with a terrible average. He just, yeah. he walks so much. And maybe there might be something to that, you know, and, and kind of like maybe what they're thinking with Ellie right now. I know a lot of people hate him in the leadoff spot and that's fine. I understand why people hate that, but Ellie's also not coming up in, situations often where there's two runners on base and he's striking out and maybe it, it could add a little bit of additional pressure to him, you know, make make the, the strikeouts feel worse than they are. When you're striking out with the bases empty, it doesn't feel as bad when you're striking out when there's two runners on base. So there might be something also to that with why they have Ellie Day of the Cruz hitting leadoff. Right. Um, the next thing that we have on the rundown, obviously, is the Reds rotation. When I keep saying we need to survive in advance, we need to survive in advance, we need to tread water, need to try to find a way to get ourselves to the last month of the season, this is what I'm talking about. And you have on here, obviously, a, a little bit of a graphic of what it looks like uh, for this month in regards to starting pitching. I'll, I'll let you kind of walk through and illustrate kind of what, what your point is here with this. Well, Lion Richardson was sit down today, so barring injury, he has to stay down 15 days. Connor Phillips, there was some speculation on him because he was originally supposed to start on Sunday for Louisville. Uh, they scratched him, no word, but now he's listed to start tomorrow, which, interesting enough, puts him starting on the same day as Luke Weaver. The Reds can get by with, with four starters until Hunter Green is supposed to come back on the 20th. So will they just roll with that? Um, is it maybe tomorrow they're going to watch Luke Weaver and they're going to watch Connor Phillips and they're going to say, all right, let's see, let's figure out who's the best option. Um, the next, next, that next Weaver spot is against the Guardians, a team that's not a very good offensive team. So that could also have something to do with it as well. But just kind of something to, to monitor here. Um, I would like to see Luke Weaver out of the rotation or I would like to see Andrew Abbott pushed back. Uh, I, I, I a little worried about Abbott's workload at this point. I wish they would at least take one or the other with this extra day off, but let's see, I guess what they do with Phillips. That's maybe the, the interesting uh, caveat here. You think that there's a chance they throw Phillips and give, try to and try to give, one of the younger guys, and I say younger guys, is an Andrew Abbott specifically a rest? Is that, I mean, that, that's a thought. I'm not suggesting that's the answer. I think some of it, how much do you think that the, this is where like I go back and forth. How much, how, and I don't know the right answer to this. I'm saying this, I'm saying this with straight face. I don't know if I know the right answer. How much of the playoff race dictates what you end up doing with some of these young guys? Oh, everything. I mean, if there's no playoff race, I don't think you're pushing Andrew Abbott deep into September. I don't think you even think about it. Well, I'm saying, what's the scale look like? What's the scale look like? Is it, is it, is it, and again, this this isn't, this isn't the, I know this isn't the answer. Is it all hell breaks loose with, with the, with the young guys? We don't care about their pitch count. We don't care about nothing. Let's go win, 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 win. I know that's not the answer. And then the opposite would be like, no matter what happens, I don't give a damn if we're pitching in the World Series and, and, we, you know, four of our starters get sick with the flu and we have Andrew Abbott, then he's not pitching because we're worried about his inning count. We know that wouldn't happen. So somewhere in the middle lies the truth. I guess the question is, is like, where are we on that scale is the real question. 
you got to weigh everything. I mean, obviously, number one, you got to monitor Andrew Abbott. You got to have a, a gauge of of where he's at, and you got to have a um, well. Even all these guys, Nick. I'm not talking about just Abbott. I'm, I mean, Williamson's in that yeah, boat. Uh, even Connor Phillips. Let's say Connor. Let's say Connor Phillips. And this is so stupid, but there's another hypothetical. Connor Phillips comes up. He throws one game and a son of a you know what kid show. He he strikes out 14 guys, gives up four hits, one run through seven and two thirds innings. Are you really going to say he's not going to ever pitch again this year? Probably not. So at some point, you got a lot of answers from a lot of different guys. I know this is not fair hypothetical, but that's what you do on a, uh, on a show. Yeah, and some of these problems might resolve themselves. Let's get, be honest. Uh, uh, injuries, I, I right? To, to, no, that wasn't even what I was going to say. I'm just being funny. Man, you're killing me. No, so, I mean, honestly, I hate to say this. This might actually be worse than saying injuries. Andrew Rabbit could struggle in September, and it's not really even a thing of... We have to pitch him in the playoffs. He finally starts looking like a rookie, right? That could sure. happen, and then then you're not even really worried about that. You could also, let's say the Reds do make the playoffs, you could also not even start Andrew Abbott and say, all right, Andrew Abbott, we're going to limit your innings in the playoffs. We're going to make you a two-inning reliever. Uh, that yeah. you could use he could be an He could be yeah. an opener. Yeah, it could be a very valuable thing. I mean, you're talking that first round's a three-game series. It's all hands on deck. Reds have a pretty good bullpen, you don't need your starters to go out and throw six innings to to win a game in a a, a playoff series. So, yeah. um, but that's a whole another thing if you even get there. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Russ in the chat says, "Didn't Carl say Abbott would not be on a inning limit?" Um, he did. Yeah, he did. I was but, shocked. Yeah, you know what that comes down to, though, Nick. I think that a little bit of that is these guys aren't eighteen and nineteen year old kids either. Like, I and I know you've heard me say this a billion times. Like, I mean. Andrew Abbott is not a traditional rookie. He's just not. I mean, when I say rookie, I mean like he's just not a guy that has not been pushed to the max. He's he's just not. He's not. If this kid was put it this way, if Andrew Abbott was 18 years old, right, or 19 years old, some phenom that throws 100 miles an hour, puts a has a lot of high stress pitches, I think that the answer would be different. He's a lot different than Hunter Green when he was a rookie. Correct. Do we want to get into like the the whole expectation? Oh, thing? I do, I do. So this is probably the best part of the show, in my opinion. There's one thing that people can't accuse me of, and 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 that is and that is is that I that is that I've I've ridden both sides or that I'm on one side, right? Like in the political spectrum, and this isn't a politics show. We're gonna make it that we're gonna keep it that way. I promise you. But I'm trying to use an example here. In politics, you have people on two sides of an aisle: Republicans and Democrats. And for whatever reason. Society has gotten to a point now where social media driven, however it is, is that some people that identify with this party root themselves into whatever ideology that party believes in, no matter what. It's this blind faith belief. It's this, I'm right because this is what my my belief system, this is what our group think mentality all believes. And the other side does the same thing. And so what happens is, is when one side disagrees with the other, you go farther apart. It's like, oh, you think you're going to do that? Well, watch this. And it's like, we're not, I don't say we're not getting anywhere, but ultimately no one wins. It's just, it's, it, no one wins. But every, it's like, it's like a huge, it's like a huge house fire and everyone's arguing over who gets to go out the door first. And by the time anyone goes out the door, everyone's already burnt a crisp. So for those that want to sit here and say that the, and what I'm getting at is everyone that wants to sit here and say, well, before the season started, you would have been unbelievably happy right now. If I told you that we were a game out, you'd be happy. Blah, blah, blah. So 
Turn your frown upside down and be happy. Okay, well, that's that's easy to say, but I just looked back two weeks ago. We looked like the best team in baseball. We had every every ability in the world, Nick, to bury Milwaukee and to bury the Chicago Cubs for two weeks of decent baseball and, 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 and arguably possibly win the division going away. That was possible. I'm not saying it was probable, but it was possible. It was something that if I told you and anyone else that the Reds would have an eight-game lead in the division and you gave me, call it whatever, I'm, gonna use, I'm using ridiculous hyperbole here, but I'll give you $100 if they don't have an eight-game lead, but if they do have an eight-game lead, you die. No one's taking that bet. No one's like, no one's taking that bet, Nick. No one's like, there's no way that they won't be eight games up. They could have been eight games up is the point I'm making. So reasonable minds should understand why there's a group of people that are absolutely pissed off at the world because their favorite baseball team had a chance to do something that they have not done in so long and they pissed the bed a little bit. That's what they did. They pissed the bed. Now, is it over? No. And on the opposite side, I think it's reasonable to expect, Nick, where you're at, which is you try to rationalize with people and tell them, hey, I'm just trying to remind you that this team might not be as good or they might not be where you want them to be right now. So at the end of it, here's the expectation. You tweeted out a simple graph that said, statistically speaking, of course, this is the percent chance. This is the percent chance that the Reds have of making the postseason. It's never been above 50%. And some people take that as you saying, oh, well, look at this little poor team. They're okay. Don't get mad at them. They were never supposed to be in this situation. And I don't think that's what you're saying. But unfortunately, rational people, I would like to think there's more of us, see both sides of this. Is that fair to say? Where are you at with the whole notion of that the Reds completely pissed the season away and then also, hey, where were you guys at in February when you told me they were going to lose 100 games? I don't really have an issue with people that are upset or maybe even the ones that are upset that they didn't do more at the deadline. What I just think was a little ridiculous is that I this notion that I've been playing both sides of this. Like, I'm pretty sure if you look back at most of our shows even when the Reds were on the win streak I think I wasn't all like hey this is a for sure thing we're for sure we're the blast I feel like I constantly push back on this I feel like when we were went to the deadline we were talking about the deadline I was like hey you know the 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 odds are still like below 50 percent that's why I'm a little cautious of going all in right now I, I think that's kind of the thing that to me that I was just like I, I've kind of been cautious here all year I've enjoyed it I've been excited about it. I've been excited about this opportunity, but I don't think I ever jumped in and said, this is a surefire player to uh, playoff team. I don't think I've ever said that all year. If I have, please find it on the, the, the tapes. We do them after every game and let me know. Cause I don't think I ever really was, was at that point this year, but yeah, I mean, I do think it's a little disingenuous. Uh, if you, you know, where this team's going to lose hundred games and then, they should be going all in at the trade deadline. Uh, that's a pretty wide swing within a couple months. But I, I do, I do, I get the the other side. Uh, but again, I just I don't think that this was the time 
to really go all in. And I don't really know even if there necessarily is ever going to be a time to go all in because I think that the good small markets never really go all in. They're always trying to win now and looking to the future. Um, and I think I've been saying that all year. Here, here's the thing. I, I see both sides of it. I, 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 I do. And here's the, here's the issue that I would take for, for the people that are really pissed off and think that, oh, you know, saying they should have only won... 60 games is a loser's mindset. I think that that is, that is true if that's the mindset of the players and that's the mindset of the manager and that's the mindset of the front office. I think that's true. The big difference is that there's fans. And fans can set expectations however they want and it makes no impact over what the team does or doesn't do. The last two weeks, in my opinion, have little to do with with the trade deadline, it has little to do with you know whether or not one guy is in the lineup or not in the lineup, whether or not this team just is nowhere near as good as they were. I think this team's good. I just think when you play 162 games, you're going to have spells where you don't play good baseball, and then you couple that with all the things that happened of, of late, which is maybe a couple mismanaged games by David Bell, add in the trade deadline, add in Jonathan India going down with an injury, and you have a complete recipe for fans to be frustrated, especially when you add in the fact that this this team was 10 games over 500 going in to play Milwaukee seven times, six times, six times with a two-game lead. Coming out of it, being down two games, you turn that around, you go into Chicago, you win the first one, thank God, and then you blow. And then basically, for that, from, from there on, they played really bad baseball. It's one thing to lose the way they did, Nick, or lose a game. It's, it's another way to lose the way they did. And I think that just added fuel to the fire. So, all in all, I'm just trying to rationalize with both sides of the aisle here. If you were somebody that said they were going to lose 100 games, and now you're really upset at Nick Crawl because he didn't go out at the deadline and, and get someone that you can't even say who they should have gone out and gotten, then I think that you need to be a little rational in saying that, oh, you know what? This sucks. Is it okay just to say it sucks and not have an answer? Is that okay in life? Is it okay to ever one time, possibly on Twitter or just in general in society, to raise your hand and say, you know what? I I wish things were going better, but I don't really know exactly what could have done to make it better. And that's where the Reds are at. They got a bunch of unproven guys. I've said that time and time and time again. We don't know how good we really are. We don't. If you if you want to right now tell me that this is the best team for sure in anything, that's why I'm hesitant to say they're the best team because you don't really know. In six years from now, or let's just say ten years from make it more fun, in ten years from now, Nick, you might look you might look at this lineup and and and, and genuinely tell yourself, how the hell did anybody beat these guys? Because that's how good all of these players were. Or in ten years, you might look back and be like, "Who the hell are who the hell are eight of the you know out of the nine guys that start every night? Who in the hell are seven of them?" That's possible. So, I don't know, man. I guess that's social I, I think, media. I think the the also the one thing that also got missed in this is there's multiple paths the Reds could have gone here. Is there's also a possibility that you go out and you make a couple trades that are really you know like you trade for Michael Lorenzen. 
uh, our friend Arm Leitnich's baseball said that would cost, cost probably Carlos Jorge. It would have been the equivalent of what the Phillies gave up for him. So there's a, there's a chance that you go, you acquire Michael Lorenzen. Michael Lorenzen comes in and pitches great for the Reds, and they still miss the playoffs. Like, that's still a possibility. You could make a couple really great trades. You could acquire multiple pieces, and you still miss the playoffs because the Reds are banking on Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer, their whole freaking lineup is mostly rookies, and we have no idea. I have no idea. You have no idea. Everyone on X.com has no idea how these guys are going to perform in their first September of a 162-game season, and that's why I was more risk-averse of giving up prospects that could be really valuable down the line for something that I really have no idea how they're going to perform. And that that's where I'm at. And if you were more like, hey, I'm for sure sold these guys aren't, that's fine. You can you can have that mindset. We'll have to see how it plays out. Well, I don't think that you could have that mindset and say they should go for it now because if you're saying they should go for it now and trade away prospects when you don't think that the guys they have here are going to end up being good, then what the hell are you talking about? How the hell does that work? So you want to trade the guys that are behind the guys you don't believe in because you need to go for it now because you're not sure if these guys are good enough to make the playoffs later? Explain that one to me. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about the. I'm talking about the people that say, "Well, you don't. You, you never know if you're going to be back." Now, that's true. But my God, if if these guys that are rookies who basically damn near carried us close to the playoffs, if they can't get us back, then the, then who the hell can? You know what this is. To be fair to that crowd, and this is where I I, I genuinely think that that I do. I'm. I don't want to say I'm always level headed because I'm not. Obviously. Nick, there needs to be at least some sentiment or some resounding understanding that those people that are pissed off are mad because they've been promised something for a long effing time, dude. They've been they they've been sold this bag of goods for years and years and years and years. And just because it's not Nick Crawl's fault, and it's not Nick Crawl's fault, but my point is is that this franchise is, is they're not going to get the benefit of doubt anymore. And as much as that might piss guys off like yourself and, and other people when they see what's going on that's differently than before, the vast majority of the fan base doesn't have the time, the effort, the energy to put themselves in a position to be able to see the difference. So now, quite frankly, they finally have a little bit of taste of something and they just want it so damn bad that they they don't they, they don't want to hear about next year because they've been waiting for next year so long and that's a little bit of an understandable take the problem is is that when you keep doing that over and over again you're always poor you know it'd be nice to save up a little money in a way and finally go and do something nice luke weaver throws tomorrow nick let him know who what when where and why well luke weaver pitches tomorrow uh, my one positive for you his only start against the Marlins this year, five and a third innings, one run. That's all I got on Luke Weaver. Not saying anything else. Braxton Garrett will be going for the Marlins. Uh, he has a 5.83 ERA in his last six starts, um, but he does not walk anyone. One of the best uh, walk rates in baseball this year. Uh, he faced the Reds earlier this year, five innings, one run. So he did pitch pretty well against the Reds. Uh, Nick Senzel, two for five with a double against Braxton Garrett. Tomorrow, 640. Tickets still available. Well, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Chatterbox Reds. We greatly appreciate all of the love and support. If you have not yet subscribed to Chatterbox Reds on your favorite podcast platform, well, what are you waiting for? Do it right now as we have new episodes available bright and early 
the morning after every single Reds game this season, just in time for your daily commute, your morning coffee, or however else you get your day started. And also, make sure that you are subscribed to Chatterbox Sports on YouTube so you can join us live after every single Reds game this season and be a part of the conversation. Hit the bell and turn on notifications also so you can get alerts on your phone whenever we go live. We hope that you have a fantastic day, and as always, go Reds.